This episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast was brought to you by Navigating North, a five-day virtual summit to help you discover your purpose in business, life, and leadership. Learn more at navigatingnorthsummit.com. All around the world, people are floundering. There's something missing, something more that they just can't grasp. Do you feel it too? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Every week, host Kevin Monroe will help you navigate to your true north and flourish in faith, business, and life. You found us for a reason. Stay tuned to find out why. Hey, it's Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you to the Higher Purpose Podcast. This is episode 20. If you know me, you know that I'm easily excitable, and I make no apologies about that. If you also know me, you know that there's one thing I really despise. It's hype in any shape, size, form, or fashion. On the heels of that, I'm going to say something, something intended to wake you up and possibly shake you up and invite you to lean in and listen to this episode. Actually, more than that, I want you to join the conversation. I sincerely hope that you don't hear what I'm about to say is hype, because as I was preparing for this episode, I believe these words are true. For some of you, this episode may be the whole reason you have found the Higher Purpose Podcast. It might be your date with destiny right now. For some, the timing of this podcast could not be more significant or relevant. For you, the stakes are high and your hope is low. You're wondering whether or not you should throw in the towel and just call it quits. Don't do that yet. Why do I say all of this? Well, I love this sentence from Susan Scott, the author of Fierce Conversations. While no single conversation is guaranteed to change the trajectory of a career, a company, a relationship, or a life, any single conversation can. For you, This conversation might just be the transformational one you need to have at this exact moment. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Rick Rigsby. Maybe you've seen the video of his commencement speech at Cal Maritime University. It's the most viewed Goldcast video to date. Rick has a brand new book about to come out, and it's the catalyst and the backdrop to our conversation today. Rick joined us for the Navigating North Summit, and we had a remarkable conversation that you can watch for free on the Navigating North Summit homepage. It's different from the conversation you're about to hear. So if you enjoy this one, you'll certainly want to listen into that one. Let's dive into the conversation now. Well, what a delight to welcome Dr. Rick Rigsby to the Higher Purpose Podcast. I am so looking forward to this conversation, and I know it's going to be rich and robust. Rick, welcome. Kevin, I woke up early this morning waiting to talk to you. Three o'clock this morning, I'm waiting to talk to you. I just find a kindred spirit in you, somebody that looks at the alarm clock as an opportunity clock, as Zig Ziglar would say. Somebody that looks at life and says, let's go. Let's just get it done. Well, I, I wondered what an alarm clock was. I mean, I saw somebody who said purpose is a, a is a great alarm clock. Rick, I, I have not woken up with an alarm clock in years. Me either, brother. <laughs> so if you were introducing yourself to our listener, what's something you think is really important for them to know? 
First of all, I want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity. And if I were to introduce myself to, to your listeners as I am, I would want them to know this. I promoted myself for 40 years, and it got me nowhere. And once I shifted, because I was cornered to shift, once I made a shift from self-promotion to helping other people, my entire life changed. I think that's my byline. Now, you can put all sorts of things around that byline. You can put accomplishments. You can put achievements. You can put education. You can put experiences. But here's the reality. While it looked good on the outside, I wasn't fulfilled on the inside. Mm-hmm. I want your listeners to know one thing. When you help other people achieve their goals, you will begin to achieve your goals. And for me, the shift was moving from being a consumer to being one that served. Everything changed when that mindset changed. Now, Kevin, that mindset came with a price because uh, I didn't learn that until my wife, my college sweetheart, the mother of our two children got sick and eventually passed away from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. It's very hard for life to be all about you when you have to be a caretaker and a mother and a daddy uh, to those boys. And everything changed. It could no longer be about me anymore. And that's when I realized that I was created for something far greater than meeting my own needs. Okay. Okay. Well, well, that's teed up the rest of the conversation. Uh, Rick, I want to, I did the math earlier today and I realized that it was exactly 40 days ago to this day that you and I sat down for our featured conversation on the Navigating North Summit. My goodness. Now, in the circles you and I travel, 40-day periods have significance. (laughs) Want to unpack that? You know, from a biblical perspective, uh, 40 days represents a time of intense trial. Uh, According to Scripture, uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, It rained, according to Scripture, for 40 days before... Uh, Noah could allow everybody to get out of the ark. The, 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 the scriptural setting uh, that places that number 40 inextricably connected to trial and overcoming. I have had one heck of a 40-day period. It has been awesome. <laughs> Absolutely awesome. But how, how often uh, do we know, you and I, that awesome comes with a price? It comes with a, a, a trial. You, you know what the greatest trial for me has been? It has been to stay focused, mm, mm. to make sure that the main thing stays the main thing. That's real easy to do when no one's following you. That's real easy to do when there's no prominence, when there's no pull of your time and attention, as you know. That's real easy to do when you're managing Uh, just yourself. But now all of a sudden, you're managing people and companies and entities and products and resources. Not only that, uh, there are a hundred different interruptions in the course of a day, many of them good. And one can trip you up and cause you to be distracted to miss what you're supposed to focus on. Robin Sharma is a business consultant that I really admire and follow. Hope to meet him someday. Robin Sharma said the average knowledge-based person uh, in, in Western culture, and I would dare say probably throughout the world where, where technology is available, 
Robin Sharma says that average employee, that average person is distracted a minimum of two hours every single day, interrupted every 11 minutes, then it takes 30 minutes to return back to an alpha level of thinking. I want to tell your listeners one thing. If you are going through your business life in a random way, you'll never succeed. If you're going through your personal life in a random way, you'll never succeed. Intentionality is, is critical, especially the busier you get. What I have, the, probably the biggest lesson I've learned in the last 40 days is to stay focused on my purpose. Here's my purpose. Simply and unwittingly, my purpose is to give hope to a world that doesn't have hope, that doesn't see a need for hope, that doesn't feel hope. It is to encourage people at every level to, to go in and to not just uh, advance skill sets, not to just empower people, but in my presentation, in my writing, in my blogs, in our teleconferencing, it is to, to teach, to empower, and above all, to give hope to a, to a, to a hopeless world. So, Rick, do you agree that we're in a hope crisis yes. in the world? Yes, yes, I, yes, I do, Kevin. I'm 61 years old. I was born in 1956. So I post-date slavery, obviously, I, but I don't post-date a lot of the struggles uh, of, of equality and inequality. I, I uh, was alive during uh, the Vietnam War, and I really remember the struggle of the Vietnam War. That Vietnam War was isolated with us getting the residual effect in the United States. We have a hope crisis in our world globally right now, and hopelessness is killing us yeah. if we let it. I have never in my 61 years seen such hopelessness. People afraid, people not knowing what to do or where to turn or where to go. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I really believe that part of the problem that has accelerated this hopelessness is the fact that we have literally neutered the power of that word with such casual language. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope the wind isn't blowing. I hope the movie hasn't started. I hope my wife doesn't see me add this butter flavor that will clog my arteries to the popcorn that I'm going to eat. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that we've relegated hope to wish fulfillment, mm -hmm. to a fleeting thought, to a transient notion, uh, hope, hope is more than, than just that. While those things I mentioned are legitimate, hope is dynamic and transformative. I think the combination of world events, along with the casual use of the word hope, has rendered us so muted in the area of wanting the hope to, to, to resound loudly in us mm. that we look externally. Mm. We don't look internally. So, so guess what happens, Kevin? In our careers in our lives. We're always looking externally for the next shiny thing to bring us hope, for the next new thing to bring us hope. Well, guess what? I, I have a definition that really challenges that. Um, Let's go there in a moment. But before... You bet. You know, as I'm listening to you, Rick, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm amazed. And, and as I was preparing for our conversation, you know, it just hit me that hopelessness knows no boundaries. Right. It's not limited geographically. It's not limited. It's not isolated socioeconomically. Uh, it doesn't matter what profession you are, your income, your accomplishment. Anyone 
can know hopelessness. And we see hopelessness everywhere. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, I just told a group this past weekend, Kevin, that uh, for 35 years of my life, I never had a bad day. Not one bad day. I was a success in every way after being told I would never amount to anything by a high school counselor. But I had, I had parents that empowered, that encouraged. I had parents that were not afraid to hope. And so, so hope literally fueled the members in my family. I had advanced degrees. I had television success. I had, I had a professorship. I had everything on the outside that you would think would create a hopeful life. And just like that, went from hopeful to buying real estate in Hopelessnessville. You are absolutely right. Hopelessness is global. Hopelessness cuts across class, cuts across racial divides, cuts across gender, cuts across economic level. Do you know what? I've talked to so many CEOs and they have everything. And I've visited with so many of them that, that will say to me behind closed doors, Rick, I am empty on the inside. Yeah. You know, who, who does a CEO talk to? If he doesn't talk to you, if he doesn't talk to me, if he doesn't talk to others that, that he or she can confide in. And it really speaks to your point. You can travel to Nigeria all the way back to Pensacola, all the way up to British Columbia, all the way over to Guam, and you sense hopelessness, in my opinion, more than I've ever sensed it in my life. It's a global epidemic that is killing our spirit. Okay. Now, we're going to get your definition of hope, but you've, in the last 40 days, you've completed a book that's about to be released. <laughs> you know what's amazing about this? What's amazing is that the video went viral October the 5th, 2017, around five o'clock in the evening. Hmm. I completed the manuscript for the book at nine o'clock PM the night before, October wow. the 4th. <laughs> and what's the reason why the book was completed in the last 40 days is because the book could not have been completed prior to the last 40 days. Hmm. May, may I explain what I'm talking sure. about? Sure. This is one of those books that took 20 years to write. It had no title. What, what basically it had was this. There is an inextricable connection between struggling and finding hope. That was basically the thesis of the book. <laughs> and and I, it, it wasn't until the video goes viral and I hire a company and my dear friend and yours, our mutual friend, Kevin Breeding, says to me, Rick, I believe the title of the book is going to come as a result of the viral video. And I'm saying to him, Kevin, the video went viral because I'm telling people that through my struggle, I was really afraid to hope. Mm. And it just everything just stopped right there. Mm. And right away, I had an anchor, what we would call in academe a spine. Now there's this, there's this connection between a theme or a construct that runs through every single chapter. Now you start asking uh, questions that eluded you the last year when you were, quote, writing the book, like afraid to hope. Why? Why would I be afraid to hope? And all of a sudden, the floodgate opened. I'm telling you, Kevin, I couldn't write fast enough. I averaged an hour to two hours sleep 
and didn't even realize it for probably three to four weeks. You've been there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It was as if God was talking and I couldn't keep up, fast enough. I started realizing, my goodness, I'm so different than parents that had nothing. That generation had nothing, yet they dared to dream. I can remember growing up in Northern California, going to visit relatives in Southern California. We would pass miles of orange groves. I didn't see what Walt Disney saw. (laughs) And so how is it that people can have less, but yet there's a capacity to see more? Mm. And I couldn't, I I can't tell you how eye-opening it was to have allowed the experience of a lifetime, now 140 million views, to help me to see what I could not see in the last year of writing the book. And that was, during my struggle, I was afraid to hope, but hope was always there. In other words, bottom line, I could not have written the book had it not been for the last 40 days. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so... You, you, oh boy! You realized you were afraid to hope. Yes, sir. Why are you're not the only one? I mean, this oh, when we talk about this global like epidemic, uh, people are afraid to hope. Why yeah. are we afraid to hope? Let's let's unpack that. I've had sure. that conversation with people lately. Sure. So, oh boy, I'm going to do this without crying, Kevin. <laughs> Tremendous disappointment when my wife died, despair, discouragement. And you get to a point that hope requires you to feel again. The last thing you want to do is feel again. The last thing you want to do is live again. You're looking for a way out. I can't take a way out because I have two little children. And so what do I do? I, I, either, I either dare myself to hope or I medicate my pain. I chose to medicate my pain. And I did it in two ways, food and feelings. Uh, I, would, I would eat when I felt blue. I would eat when I felt black, which meant I, I ate all the time. <laughs> I, I would eat when I was up. I would eat when I was down. But guess what the greatest medication was? Feelings. I used feelings to justify my behavior. My behavior was skewed because of the disappointment, because of the discouragement, because of the despair. But this is what I didn't realize. There was something internal that was taking place that were even greater enemies of hope. That disappointment, that despair, that discouragement, those were simply outer manifestations of a deeper rooting system. Uh, They were rooted in, 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 in pain, unresolved issues, past mistakes. And I was now manifesting anger and regret. You know what, Kevin? I would look at another couple and get mad. I would be resentful because that meant that my future was taken away. I would see an older couple holding hands and I would be so angry because that meant that I wouldn't be growing old with with my wife. I didn't want to deal with life. I was afraid to feel. I was afraid to trust. I was afraid to try. I was even angry at God. Are you ready? And a lot of times people can't believe that because I happen to be a pastor but I'm also a human being. I was, a, I was angry at Trina for dying. That makes no logical sense. That makes no theological sense. But I would argue that a person who is hopeless is not rational. They're not thinking. All you're doing is being informed 
by the impulses around you that say, pay attention to your feelings. I didn't want to pay attention to my feelings. So I medicated my pain. And, and because I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to live, I didn't want to hurt as deeply, I made a choice not to hope. Mm-hmm. I think people are afraid to hope because there's a lack of trust. Uh, they've been let down. I think people are afraid to hope because it requires taking action. I could have just evaporated and wasted away. Mm. I think people are afraid to hope because, listen to me very carefully, we've been conditioned to see only what we see. So if all you see is a casket, what's the point? I've said this line before. I don't know where I heard it. It's not important. I want your listeners to get it. Whether you're talking business or whether you're talking personal struggle, if all you see is all you see, then you don't see all there is that needs to be seen. If all you, yeah. if, if all you see is what you see, then you, you don't see all there is that needs to be seen. Let me, put it, let me put some hands and feet on that. Do you know, and I know you do, that every struggle is really a gift. Mm. Now, it's gift-wrapped in an uneven, awkward, even offensive kind of way to our flesh. But when you look back upon it, you learned something. You grew. You were forced to stretch. I remember when I was on the coaching staff, I was the life skills coach and the chaplain for uh, the football team at Texas A&M for a number of years. And I remember we only had, after a loss on Saturday, you only have so much time to mope. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the next day you come in and you look at tape. There's a saying in football, tape don't lie. You know, you can BS your way and say, no, I was in position, but the tape shows that you weren't. And so now you're starting to see something that challenges your existing perspective. And it forces you to either retreat or to go forward. If all you see is what you see, then you don't see all there is that Mm. needs to be seen. Most of the time, guess what, Kevin? I wasn't seeing the possibility to get better. All I was seeing is the pain that I was feeling. Mm. 21 years removed, looking back, those were I'm the person I am today because of that struggle. I'm the man I am today because I didn't give up. I'm the father I am today because I made a choice to go forward. While I would not wish losing a spouse on anyone, how could the worst days of my life also be the best? It's because I discovered hope. And in discovering hope, I found my purpose. But to get back to your original point, for years, I was afraid to hope because I didn't want to feel and I didn't want, I didn't want, to, I didn't want to live. Listen to these words from Helen Keller. Yeah. I, this is one of my favorite quotes. Hope sees the invisible. Hope feels the intangible. Hope achieves the impossible. First, hope sees the invisible. If all you see is what you see, then you don't see all there is that needs to be seen. Mm. Hope sees something different than, than we see. Hope sees more than a casket. Hope sees an opportunity to be friends with Kevin Monroe 21 years later. Hope feels the intangible. Guess what? I was only feeling pain. I wasn't allowing myself to feel the potential to live again. Mm. And hope achieves 
the impossible. In other words, Rick, get up. Get up. Don't wallow into death. Entropy, the second law of thermodynamics that suggests anything made up of a physical matters in the process of decay and eventual chaos. Business people, listen to me very carefully. When you coast, you're not coasting. You're going backwards. Mm. Entropy is setting in. When we're afraid, we go backwards. It's only when we dare to dream that we lean in and go forward. Harvard Business Review did an amazing study, asked employees what gives you the greatest employee satisfaction. It, it, they told them the rank order variables that included pay, bonus, uh, attaboys, clear communication. The number one variable that gave the greatest degree of employee satisfaction was when employees sensed that forward momentum takes place. Well, guess what? There cannot be forward momentum if you're afraid. There can't be. I'm, I'm not talking about having a healthy fear. I'm talking about being so afraid that you're paralyzed because you don't want to feel again. To answer your question, Kevin, I was afraid because it would require me to get up, mm. to achieve, to live, to try to love, to attempt to learn, to overcome. Wow. <laughs> that might be a bit too much, but. <laughs> no, that, okay, so I interrupted you from answering a question, and, and the answer was, was awesome. <laughs> but I've had the privilege of reading the book. Yes, sir. I love the definition of hope. And just a moment ago, you said, I have a definition of hope. Would you share that definition of hope with us? I'm honored to, and thank you for asking me. Now, first of all, can I can I uh, can I can I give uh, just a um, a quick statement, just so that folks know that this isn't something that has been over fifty years. I, I've been working on this for about a year, so it's I'm, it's fairly new in my thinking. Hope is a quality of every human spirit that places a transformative demand upon the heart to expect the absolute best outcome. May I say it again? You may. Hope, hope is a quality of every human spirit that places a transformative demand upon our heart to expect the absolute best outcome. You, you know, I happen to be a person of faith, but not everyone is a person of faith. I, 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 often, I love to say it this way. I don't think we have to think alike just as long as we think together. Mm. I don't have to have your belief system to be able to learn from you. We're a community. We're a global community of people that can learn from each other. And, and so I, I purposely did not put particular words in that definition that have the potential to divide. Right. I happen to believe that we're created, we're all created. And that within that creation, there is a quality within our DNA. It's in every single one of us. It is up to us to activate that quality. Hope is a quality within us that if activated, it will place a transformative demand upon your heart to believe for the absolute best outcome, not the outcome that you think is best. For me, Kevin, the outcome that I thought would have been best would have been to have a wife that would not have died. Yeah. But how, how many times have you ever hoped for something and it didn't turn out and six months to a year to 10 years later, you were so thankful <laughs> that it didn't turn out? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
And yeah. so, and so what, what I'm trying to challenge people to do is right in the midst of struggle, right in the midst of despair, right in the midst when all hell is breaking loose, to say, is there something inside of me? Is there something inside of me that will challenge me to say, what if? To say, maybe. To say, I wonder if I keep moving forward. Can I expect a better outcome? Kevin, I want to ask you a question. All right. You use a stove, right, in your kitchen. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Do you ever expect to be burned when you're cooking? No. No. Do you ex- When you go and drive your car to the market, do you expect, are you expecting to get into an accident? Of course no. not. Then why not expect the best in every other aspect of our lives? Yeah. Here's the answer. We've been conditioned not to. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But, but if you take a look at your children or your grandchildren, guess what? They don't walk around the puddle. They walk through the puddle, right? They don't worry about their socks being wet. Yeah. Uh, they expect the absolute best outcome. Yeah. So Let me hear your definition. <laughs> of hope? <laughs> yes, sir. Wow. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd really worked as hard to create a definition. I, I just think of, I, I love your definition. I'm not, I'm not dodging your question. I love your definition, Rick. And, and for me, hope is that uh, coming from a person, a, a faith background like you, a person of faith, one of the, the verses that, that always inspired me is that out of that Hebrews 11, Sure. The Faith Hall of Fame talking about how Moses saw the invisible. Yeah. You know, so for me, hope is that invisible anchor for my soul. It's it's that belief, like you say, I I never connected it with transformative. I love the transformative demand, and I never thought of hope so much as a choice, which I also love, but I just thought of hope as that belief. Uh, and I actually love the absolute best outcome. I can show you a, a I've had a, uh, just a typed out, not a plaque at all, but a typed out saying on my desk, uh, what's the highest potential outcome for my life today? Wow. You know, and that's how I've been operating. So, uh, that belief that all things will work together and produce the highest potential outcome. That's awesome, Kevin. So I love your definition. Now, it leads me to ask a question before we go back and unpack it a little bit. It's a critical question because we frequently hear uh, or read about a situation or a circumstance that's characterized as what? Hopeless. Oh, it's a hopeless situation. They found themselves in a hopeless place. So, Rick, when I'm reading your book and wrestling with some of these concepts, and I mean really wrestling, because at one point when I'm reading your book, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad it was a rich, uh, meaty book, not just pablum on hope, you know, not just a little sure. bit of feel good stuff. But do you really believe that there is, is there any situation that is really hopeless? Yeah. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Can I draw a sports analogy for a second? It, we live in a culture where we're always looking externally for something to satisfy us that can only be found internally. 
So there is no, it's oxymoronic. It's incongruent to think that there's a hopeless situation because we're the ones that, that we're carrying the hope. Here, here's the analogy, and I love to teach this to business people. First, let me tell you the latest group without using their name that I taught this to. A group of salesmen, a group of salespeople, they're in the food industry and they, they are currently number two or number three in the international pecking order of things. My talk to them was it's not about who's number one, not about who's number two. See the parallel? Mm -hmm. Not about the hopeless situation. Not about that at all. In fact, that's a distraction. Mm. Here, here, comes, here comes the parallel. Here comes the analogy. I remember playing Notre Dame and uh, you know, you see the, the golden dome, and you see the leprechaun and you see the the fighting Irish, and you see the green and the blue and the gold, and there's nothing like that wonderful environment. I remember being in Tuscaloosa, and you see the crimson tide, Alabama, Alabama, as Keith Jackson used to say. You, you, you go to these great cathedrals of battle. Not one time, Kevin, did our big, hulky football players peer through the window of the door of the tunnel and say, oh, they're big. I don't think we should go out on this Saturday and play them. No, it's not about the other team. Hmm. That other team in this conversation is called hopeless situation. Hmm. Hmm. It's not about them. But it, guess what? It takes going through a hopeless situation to understand that. Uh-huh. That, see, that, that's not a line I want to, to be in. That's not a program I want to sign up for. But because it was thrust upon me, I can say unequivocally that there is no such thing as a hopeless situation. Now, you can spend all day and give me examples, and so could I. Mm -hmm. But I would still argue there is a quality inside. Here, I, I, have, the ultimate, I have the ultimate argument right here. Okay. A wife that was a nurse, Trina was a nurse, scientifically trained, uh, six years of chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, cutting, burning, poisoning, six years, two days before she died, knowing her vital signs, knowing that her liver was shutting down as a result of a stomach that was inflating, bloating, realizing that she was at the end of the line. Doesn't get much hopeless than knowing you're going to die. Would you agree with me? I would agree. Listen to her words. Some of her last words. It doesn't matter to me any longer how long I live. What matters to me most is how I live. Hopeless situation, but hope mm -hmm. in the midst of a hopeless situation. Mm. No, Kevin, I don't believe that there's such a thing as hopelessness. Okay. Nor do I. <laughs> but when we're in the valley of despair. Yes, sir. Talk to me. When we're in the valley, it's easy to lose sight of that. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> what are some of the questions that yeah. we ask when we're in the valley that only deepen the pit? Yeah. Why me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like this. Why me? Why now? How could you do this? You know what I ask? 
How could a loving God take a wife and a mommy? Yeah. Those are legitimate questions. I mean, we're people of faith. Guess what? On the cross, Jesus asks a question. Why has thou forsaken me? Hmm. It's okay. In fact, I encourage people to struggle. Whether you're a person of faith, whether you believe different than Kevin and I, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to struggle. That's part of the process. That's part of finding hope. That's part of reconnecting to hope. Here's, Here's my point. If we're not struggling, we're medicating. If we're not struggling, (laughs) mm, boy, how much time do you have, Kevin? If we're not struggling, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're justifying. Mm. We're, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position to be paralyzed. We're retreating. Entropy is setting in. Mm. It's okay to struggle. One of, one of my great joys, and this is going to sound a bit absurd, but people die. One of my great joys in life, it's a calling actually, is to talk to widows and widowers. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm very strategic. You don't, you don't need to surround people right during the funeral. There's plenty of people. That it's, it's a month or two later when the flowers stop coming and when the cards turn yellow and when nobody's calling you and when everybody goes back to a normal way of life. And I just always circle to dear friends uh, the month or two after. I had a dear friend that she just passed away November the 19th, 2017. I have put on my calendar, right along with this event and that event, call Al, her husband, mm-hmm. on 2017 and go and have lunch with him. We probably won't eat. I don't have to say anything. Yeah. It's the best in the world just to be there. But while everyone else is gone, he needs to have a visual representation that it is possible to hope. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the questions they ask to answer your question, the questions that I ask, how, how, how could this be? I'm your golden boy. You start playing scoreboard, you know. Look at all the things I've accomplished. Look at everything I've done. Look at who I am. Your reality makes no sense with the perception that you have, and your perception is skewed because of the pain that you feel. You only see what you're willing to see. You're not even willing to see that something good could possibly come out of this. But I want to remind your listeners that through every failure, something good has come out. That's true. Every time. Not most of the time. It's 100% true. Every time, every okay, time so you, you hit a couple of these earlier, but I want to tie them back in this context of talking about what are the questions that don't serve us well. Yeah. Well, what are the better questions that give hope a seedbed in which it flourishes? Great question, Kevin. I, I wonder, will my life ever be better? Now on the surface, that doesn't sound like a very powerful question. That's one of the greatest questions you can ask yourself. You know why? The question, the declarative statement gives yourself permission to dream again. Mm. Just even if you reduced it to two words, I wonder. Mm. That is so powerful. Talking to somebody in jail and listening to, you talk about a hopeless situation. But I will tell them oftentimes, give yourself permission to dream. 
to even dream about a better quality of life incarcerated? Uh, I wonder is a good question to ask yourself. Uh, a question that starts with maybe. Maybe I might be able to breathe again. Maybe Christmas won't make me cry anymore. I wonder if my children will always be damaged because their mommy died. Mm. I wonder if I'll be able to go to a wedding and not think of Trina. I wonder if I'll always be a fifth wheel. Mm. You know, at the time, Kevin, 21 years ago, I'm asking these questions and they make no sense. Now I teach these questions as baby steps that help you lean in just a little bit, that forward momentum, just just leaning in just a little bit. Any question that will give you permission to just dream, to imagine, to just ponder that there might be an alternative to what your eyes are actually focused on is a good step toward hope. Okay, so what happens today, Rick? Or, or let's talk about you and then expand it to others because it's not about you. It's about all of us. Sure. When you sense that your hope is set up to be hijacked, you know, the, those old whatever thoughts, memories, feelings, situations are coming and, and you're invited to return to the ba- valley of despair. How do you prevent that hijack from happening of your hope? Oh, boy. That happens every day of my life. Me too. (laughs) Henry Ford said it best. If you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. I, every day, have to take another step forward in terms of a lesson that I learned probably 18 years ago. I had to rewire my mind. I had to re-engineer my life. I had to train myself to hope in a practical way on a daily basis. So here's how it works. I'm going to give you an example. It's very embarrassing. If my wife, Janet, I I later remarried, as you know. If my wife, Janet, is just a little bit late, immediately hopelessness sets in in the form of thinking the worst case scenario. I remember a couple of years ago when Janet had a hysterectomy. All of a sudden, I found myself in my mind going to the medical examination room, hearing a doctor say, Rick, I'm sorry. Mm. I have to train myself of two things. Number one, those thoughts are going to come. I'm human. I'm not, I'm not, I'm human. I have a past, a past that is still part of me. Uh, When Trina died, a part of my heart died. Number two, I have the power to overcome that past thinking. I never realized the power that I had inside of me because I was afraid to hope. So so here's the way it plays out in the course of a day. Janet is supposed to be at our home at five o'clock and she's it's 630 and she's not home and she hasn't called and it's raining outside. I begin to panic. It's okay to have that temporary moment of instability and awkwardness, Mm -hmm. even fear, as long as you're able to redirect your thoughts. And I will immediately, after allowing that to take place, I will say, Rick, what's the best, I do this, Rick, what's the absolute best outcome? 
she's delayed buying me a gift for Christmas. She's delayed. <laughs> she's picking up dinner and it's an extra one. Guess what? Happens. Mm. I'll get the call. And so what happens is you begin to realize that, that thinking those thoughts and having to overcome those thoughts because you're re-engineering your mind, that's practice for hoping. Those are, those are opportunities. Those are tests every day. You want to pass those tests. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to repeat third grade 12 times like Jeff Robodeen, to use a Beverly Hillbillies uh, <laughs> reference. But the point that I'm trying to make is that so much of my life, uh, post Trina getting sick, I saw as an affront. I never saw the value of it. When Janet gets late, when she has a doctor's appointment, when she has a mammogram, those, were, those are trigger moments. It is okay to worry as long as I'm not overwhelmed with worry. Mm -hmm. It is okay to be fearful as long as fear doesn't drape my emotions to the point that it motivates my actions. I mean, just like that, my mind naturally now, because of training of years, defaults to, oh, she's going to be fine. This is part of a checkup. And even, even if there's a problem or an issue, I go to that next level. But friend, I want to tell you something. That takes training. That takes months, years, years, years. Think about, Mal think about Malcolm Gladwell and his book, Outliers. Yeah. Uh, think, think about the, the great work Amherst Erickson is doing in Florida State talking about genius level performers and how it takes years and years of focus, determined, disciplined practice before you see the first sparks of genius. Here's the difference though, Kevin. I don't look at those as, oh God, moments. Oh God, what am I going to do moments? I look at them now as opportunities to grow. She's late. She's probably buying me a gift. She's probably <laughs> picking up a coconut cream pie. I literally have made a choice to transform my thinking because of hope. Good. And you can do it too, friend that's listening. I'm not some rocket scientist. Trust me on that. <laughs> okay. Using your definition of hope, and you've talked about working with corporations, you've talked about CEOs, leaders, using your definition of hope. Remind the audience, hope is a quality of every human spirit that places a transformative demand upon our hope to expect the absolute best outcome. Very good. What then is a leader's role in hope? Oh, I, I love that. First of all, from a leadership paradigm, it is so important that a leader doesn't judge. I'd rather be proven wrong than to judge. Mm -hmm. And so I want to look at everyone within my organization as, 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 as being equipped with this capacity to achieve far more than what I am challenging them to achieve. Mm. And so my job as a leader is to empower them with the skill set. My job as a leader is to set an expectation that is incredibly high and to create a culture, an environment that places a demand upon them to not achieve that expectation, but to go much higher than that. I want to tell you something. When leaders get that, things change. Dynamics change. In other words, I want to grow agents of hope in my food chain, in my ecosystem. Mm -hmm. From, I want the janitor to be a hope agent, an agent of change, an agent of hope. This is what it looks like. I'm expecting the best outcome today, friend. <laughs> I'm glad that the odds are, I'm, sorry, I'm getting fired up here. <laughs> I'm glad that the odds are against us. 
Uh, I'm not real pleased with Q3, but I can't wait to talk about the lessons that we learned in Q3 and how we're changing things in Q4. I am placing a greater demand upon my expectations as the leader, and I want you to come along and mm. join me in the journey. Mm. Oh, friend, there is nothing like a competent leader whose heart is filled with hope. You can't stop that person. Do, do you know what Bernard Williams said about hope? There is not, there is not, a, there is not a problem or, 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 or a, a, a dark sky. There's not a problem or a dark sky that, that can defeat sunrise or hope. Mm. You, you show me a competent leader with a vision, with discipline and the ability to execute, whose heart is filled with hope, and I'll show you an organization that'll make history. Mm. I, I guarantee you that. Problem is, we have too many leaders that don't expect enough from themselves. And as a result, they're not setting a high enough expectation for people who call them leader. Mm. I see it every day, and so do you, Kevin. But we can change that. Let's change it. Let's change, Let's change it, brother. Okay, so there's, <laughs> there's one other question that I just can't in the episode of the Higher Purpose podcast with talking about. It's a line from your book, Afraid to Hope. Even if you don't know what your purpose is, know this. You're always being prepared yes. for your purpose. Oh, boy. Why do you say that? I'm so glad you asked me. Me too. <laughs> I had no idea what my purpose was. Here I am, a 40-year-old widower. Mm. I've been a television news reporter. I went to six years of graduate school. I'm teaching at the university level. I'm at Texas A&M University, one of the great universities. I have no idea what my purpose is. Mm. No idea at all. But now I'm starting to get a sense and a greater awareness with each passing month after Trina died, with each passing year after Trina died, I'm beginning to get the firm realization that my purpose was always there, but I allowed me, myself, and I, the pursuit of, of a me-only kind of lifestyle to stand between me and clearly seeing my purpose. Now I could clearly see it. My heart had to be broken so that I would have a heart for the brokenhearted. But, but in order for me to really see my purpose, I had to come to the end of my rope. Now, to answer your question directly, here's my purpose, to give hope to the world, right? Those years in television, preparation, teaching me how to talk in every possible situation, learning how to use my voice to, to, make the, to set the tone and to set the mood, uh, being able to synthesize massive amounts of information in ways that, that are understandable and comprehensible. How about six years of graduate school? Not speaking from an anecdotal paradigm, but justifying everything I say with substance, with, with source citation, with good, clear, solid evidence, with, with research, with science, whatever. How about, how about 20 years of teaching? We're storytelling animals. Uh, I can be in front of a congregation and half of them can be falling asleep. I can be in front of a thousand people in a business setting and half of them are falling asleep, but I know the magic words that'll wake them up. When I say, I want to tell you a story, all of a sudden they perk up, they wipe the sleep out of the corner of their eyes, they get a little excited, right? 
yep. 20 years of teaching. I'm telling stories from Corax and Tisius in 437 BC, all the way through the golden era of rhetoric, all the way through the Roman era, era of rhetoric, all the way through American pop culture and our connection between media and civilization. Uh, every step of the way, I was being prepared, whether I was conscious of it or not. Prepared for what, Rick? Prepared to give the world hope. May I, may I share something with you, Kevin, that I've really crystallized in the last 40 days since I've last talked to you? Being an overnight sensation, as people like to say. By the way, it took 30 years to be an overnight sensation. But being an overnight sensation, people have asked me, Rick, when will my big break come? Guess what I say to them? That's the wrong question. It's not when your big break will come. It's will you be prepared when your big break comes? And looking at my life now, every trial, every misstep, every failure, every success, now looking back, has prepared me to take this hope to a, a hopeless world. Yeah, yeah. And so for you listening, wherever, you've at, wherever you're at at this moment, whatever you've traveled to get there, you can have that same yes. clarity when you look back and say, wow, everything in my life. Rick, I say the same thing. When I was 30, 35, 40, I was looking at my life saying, gosh, it doesn't make any sense. This, that, why am I doing this? Why did I work there? And then all of a sudden, you know, you get to a point like we are now and you look back and go, wow, all of it, everything, every lesson learned comes together for the purpose that I'm serving at this point in life. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Right. Uh, thank you for sharing with us, Rick. So two things we're going to have in the show notes where you can get this book, Afraid to Hope. Uh, the subtitle is Daring to Dream Again or yes, Finding sir. the Courage to Dream Again. Finding the Courage to Dream Again. Finding yes, the Courage to Dream Again. And I know you are doing so much on Facebook, and that's the best place. Yes, sir. More of Rick. Yes, sir. Dr. Dr. Rick Rigsby. Uh, please join my community, Dr. Rick Rigsby. And uh, I so appreciate you even having me on the show and giving an opportunity to mention the book. I, I can't wait to meet you in person. You're, you're my brother <laughs> from another mother. That's right. Same here, Rick. I can't wait. I can't wait. Thanks so much. Oh, what a privilege. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. What a rich stimulating conversation. I hope you found this conversation helpful. Actually make that hopeful. I hope you are filled with hope at this moment. Whatever the circumstances and situation you find yourself in, that you are filled with hope and you are poised to take action because action is vital. You know, a couple of the takeaways that Rick said that just stick with me. One, every struggle is a gift. Trust me, that stretches me as much as or more than it stretches you. I have my struggles. And to look at all of those struggles and say, hey, this is a gift. But I believe that to be true. And I love it when Rick said, you don't have to think alike to think together. We need to be in conversation with people that are very different from us and sitting down to solve the biggest, thorniest issues we're facing together today. And, and we can't do that only by sitting down with people that think like you. 
if, if you're looking for a place to join, join the Higher Purpose community. It is a place, a community of people that think very different than me, many of them, but I'm happy to be with them. If you enjoyed Rick in this conversation, you'll want to listen to Rick's featured conversation on the Navigating North Summit. Go to NavigatingNorthSummit.com. It's there on the homepage. Until next time, I'm your guide, Kevin Monroe, encouraging you to remember you are meant for more. Stop settling for less. If you'd like to hear the full featured conversation from Dr. Rick Rigsby, you can go to NavigatingNorthSummit.com to watch the whole thing. We'll be making a different featured conversation available each month. That's NavigatingNorthSummit.com.